We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. What's up, world? I'm Willie. And I'm Cameron. Yes, you are. Yes, yes I am. <laughs> the Other Side of Hell podcast. Welcome to the Other Side of Hell podcast. What's up, it's, buddy? It's been some time. Yeah. Remember the last time we were here? Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, it was like a while ago. Yeah, it was awesome. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Good to be here. I like your hat. Stay stopped. Stay stopped, baby. Yeah. And there's 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 reasons behind him wearing it today. You know, we love Stay Stopped. We love Jackson at Stay Stopped. We love his his message apparel. If you don't know who Stay Stopped is, go check him out on Instagram at Stay Stopped on Instagram. Yeah. At Stay Period Stopped. Yeah. What up? But you know, that's that's neither here nor there. That's not <laughs> yeah. why we're here yeah, today. That's not why we're here today, but we do have an amazing war story. It's a pretty powerful war story that we got from Christina. I'd call it gritty. Yeah, gritty. She had a she had a rough go. She went through some shit, and and uh, we got her story via being introduced to her by Jackson at Stay Stopped, who we had on the show uh, a little while ago. Jackson's become our super good friend. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Support dude. each other, and so. Uh, yeah, we got her story. It was it was a nice to meet her, and I'm really proud of the time that she has. I'm really proud of her. She's come a long way yes. after a long time, and we'll get into it. You yeah, know, we were but, talking about Christina. Did yeah. you say her name? Yeah, or? I said her name, Christina. Oh, okay. Christina. And uh, <clears throat> you know, as we listen to her story, we like to we like to pull a topic out of these stories. As as some of our listeners, if you're a new listener, this is what we do. We pull a, pull a topic out of these stories and and relate with them. And we pulled the topic of making peace with our past. Yeah. It's such a, it's so relative. Like it was, it when when I listened to her story, um, you know, I, I thought just, uh, just about the shit that we do when we're out there running and gunning, you know, and really having to get to a point as she, you know, has, and it's a process, right? Like it's a process. It's not anything that happens overnight and it's, and it's something that, um, we get better at over time. Yep. Um, but you know, really coming to a place where you, you don't really regret the things that have happened. Yes. Um, and you can recognize that, yes, I, I did those things, but I was also, you know, not in my right mind. I was also, um, in, in the addiction. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that doesn't define who I am today. Yes. Who I am today, um, isn't, uh, isn't based on that negative behavior. Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you this, Cameron, on this topic. Like, did you spend very much of your life wishing you had a better past? Right. Um, no. Really? Negative. Man, I spent a lot of time in early sobriety wishing I had a better past. Well, I guess maybe I don't understand what you mean when you say that. Yeah, like ever. I mean, do you remember a time in your life where you spent... Where I was like, oh, I wish, I wish my dad would have played with me when yeah, I was growing or, up. Okay. You know? Sure. I, man, I really wish I would have done better in school. I wish, mm. you know, I, my life would be completely different had I joined the military. Um, uh, 
you know, have you, have for you some spent? reason, like I'm so quick to dismiss that and be like, no, I never did that because you can't, you can't ever change that. So it seems very, very foolish. But, um, you know, as you explain it, it's like a, well, yeah, yeah, of course, everybody sort of has yeah. moments where they, they wish things that had happened to them in the past, um, were different. Yeah. Do you know, do you know people that, that kind of stay there? Yeah, sure. Yeah. They're victims. Yeah, it's a very painful place. And, mm-hmm. and well, and, and the reason that I know that, the reason that I that, it, that I can identify with wishing for a better past is because I was one of those people for right. a long time. I don't know how long, but it took a process, and I didn't know uh, how much negative energy I put into wishing for a better past. And what that looked like for me is, like, I would go back, and you said the word victim. I would go back through my life. And, and try to pinpoint areas of my life that could have been different if somebody else would have acted a different way or if something different would have turned out in my favor, if if my parents wouldn't have had me grow up in a trailer park or, you know, there was, there was always some type of blame involved with right. that wishing of a different past. You mm-hmm. know, one of, the, one of the big ones for me is like, like I, I go back and, and I wish I would have had more self-confidence. You know, I go back and I look at my life as as a young teen and, and in my early twenties. And I just did a lot of negative shit because I didn't have very much self-confidence and, and I didn't know how to have self-confidence. And I spent some time in my later years wondering what my life would be like, had I had more self-confidence, had I had more like, um, a, a better voice for myself preservation or had been able to say no more or anything like that. And, as I go through this process of recovery, this process of self-discovery, I realize that like if anything was different, everything would be different. Mm-hmm. And so I can go back now and I can kind of appreciate that I didn't have the amount of self-confidence that I do now. Because um, I think a lot of this, the gifts that we get later on, the things that, that, that I have now, the things that you have now, my personality wouldn't have been ready for that kind of thing, you know? Um, because... Back then, I had a, a very criminal mentality, and I had a lot of selfishness without any program or without any understanding of how uh, dangerous the, the selfishness can be. And so I think about that one scenario of when I would wish for a better past and when I would wish that I had a, a more self-confidence when I was younger. Um, if I had more self-confidence when I was younger without discipline, I would have used that self-confidence to make more crimes or, you know, something. It, sure. It, it probably would have turned out worse. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it. the one thing that, you know, we've been able to see or I've been able to realize at this point is the things that I wish for or the things that I wanted um, don't always get me what I think it will. <laughs> Right. So, um, you know, I can I can wish that things had turned out a different way in the past. And like you're saying, it's likely that those would have had different outcomes and and possible negative outcomes as well. Um, So, you know, I try not to spend a whole lot of time there now. And as you're talking about it, um, I was thinking to myself, like, do I still do that? Do I still, you know, wish for a better past? And uh, and I think that I can sure I can still get sucked into, well, I wish this was different. I wish that was different, especially when, um, you know, I can have conversations with my parents and they might say things like, oh, I, I you know, I, I wish we would have 
um, instilled a more active mentality in you guys when we were, you know, raising you or things like that. And then it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How to, come, to your fault of fact. How come you didn't yeah. do that? You know? Um, yeah. And then I kind of fall into it all over again. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. Like, uh, you know, it doesn't mean like, it doesn't mean that I would have done what I would have done with it now. Right. Then, um, it, it likely would have not had that, that, that outcome that I, that I expected it would. But, um, the self-confidence for me is a big one because, you know, I struggle with that today. I struggle with that now. And so it's not like I wish I would have had more self-confidence growing up. It's like, I wish I had more self-confidence now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You yeah. Know? I think, and I think yeah. that that's a better way for me to look at things is like, well, where am I at now? Mm -hmm. What's happening now? Like what, what can I do about the, the very now, you know? Yeah. Um, but the past is tricky, dude. Like it, it really took me a long time, especially in recovery to, to get to a point where, you know, like I accepted some of the things that, that had occurred and that had happened and, and my life up to that point. Um, because, you know, I spent a lot of years hating myself and hating everything about how I was living life. Yeah. And, and so that's, that doesn't, that's not something that changes overnight. Like, yeah, I can discontinue the drugs and alcohol. And as a result, we'll likely, um, cease doing a lot of the things that I hate myself for, but my brain is still going to find something because that's just what it's used to doing. Like it's used to finding something to dwell in so that I have enough self pity so that I'll go back to what works to drown or numb those feelings. And, uh, and so, you know, that was something that I had to navigate that I still have to navigate today, um, is, you know, Hey, just because I'm thinking this doesn't make it true. And, um, of course I'm thinking that way because I'm an addict and alcoholic. And I think that there, there had to be a certain level of acceptance that happened in me of just that notion alone. Like, Obviously, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, I can't use drugs, I cannot drink. And once I accepted that that was not the solution, um, it became easier to sort of go back and accept the things that had occurred um, in, a, in a healthy and constructive way. And so it led me to um, a better a better option of dealing with those negative emotions. Um, and, and eventually, you know, I was able to get to a point where I could see the benefit in the things that had happened to me. Yeah. And that really came out of self love. Like once I was able to like start liking myself, I was like, well, Hey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be this person if it wasn't for those things. And so there, there has to be some benefit that was gained in that instance. So, yeah, I mean, the past is what it is. Um, but we get to use it today, or at least I get to use it today as, as, uh, as a tool. Yeah. I was going to, you know, as you were sharing and I appreciate your take on that, uh, cause I can relate with all that stuff. As you were sharing, I was thinking of the, of the question, you know, um, it seems like, it seems like we're drawn together more through stories of the past. Like, like, I identify 
more with like like Christina, the way that she felt in the past, probably more than she feels in the present moment. It seems like it seems like really it is our mm. past that kind of brings us together in a way that we can relate with one another. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, well, it's the struggle, right? It's the struggle that brings us together. And 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 most of us have have struggled. We don't all struggle now, um, but we have struggled which is what has led us to where we are now. Yeah. Um, so I think that absolutely, like our our bonding comes from the things that we've been through because even if we haven't been through the exact same things, we usually felt the exact same way yeah. while some of those negative things were happening. Um, or it was those feelings that resulted in that negative behavior. So yeah, I mean, and, and, and you're no different. Christina's no different. Any other war story that we've gotten is no different or any other alcoholic or addict that I've talked to is no different. There's always this sort of feeling of, I never felt right. <laughs> never felt right in my yeah, skin. I, I never, never fit. I never quite fit in. Yeah. And, and that seems to be just like the number one common thing with all of us is that we never, we never feel right. And so that, that, negative feeling can lead to a bunch of negative behavior as it did with most of us in our active addiction. And I think that that's, that's where we, we bond, mm -hmm. like that's where we connect. And that's what brings us together is like, Hey, I felt that way too. Let me tell you about what that feeling did to me and where it took me and what I did as a result of feeling that way. Um, and then those stories, you know, like luckily today we're able to laugh at a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's not stuff that was no, always yeah. laughable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but today, like being that we are where we are, like there's, there's a, so many funny stories, Willie. Yeah. You look, you look back at your past and, and just how ridiculous some of the actions were just to feel okay. Yeah. Well, it's the insanity. The, the insanity. Yeah. Right. It, and, and you can really see it as insanity, like this far down the road and just be like, holy shit. <laughs> Look like, back. Go, who, fuck. Who does that? Who the fuck acts like that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Christina actually tells a kind of a funny story about her first time doing some stuff in her story. We'll get to that later. But, um, you know, it, come, coming across all that stuff and taking a look at all those things you know, makes us who we are, like you were saying. And, and I had the opportunity um, just yesterday to go back to my hometown where uh, I did 95 something percent of all my drug and alcohol use. I don't know, maybe 80 percent of all of it. I can't most the first time I used most of the people that I used with, I had the opportunity to go back and uh, we went to a celebration of life for a friend of ours that died. And um, on my way up there, I started feeling that insecurity, that mm. knowing that I was going to run into people from my past, yeah. you know. And 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 uh, uh, it's, there's this weird thing that, that happens to me when I'm going to be in that type of situation. This isn't the first time that I've been in that situation. So I kind of know that this is this feeling's coming up. But what ends up happening to me is I start questioning who I am now. Sure. Like, like, am I, am I really this guy on the podcast? This, this guy in recovery with 10 years and, 
kids that have never seen him drunk and takes his health seriously because the people that I knew I was going to see at that celebration for life uh, were for the most part only ever knew me in that in that state of mind, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started getting clean, um, I left. I was gone from my hometown. I went to rehab outside of my town. I moved outside of that town. I went to work outside of that town. <laughs> like, like, well, you had your last arrest here. I had my right? last arrest here in Utah, which is away from my hometown. Right, right, right. And and, and so there was that that nervous feeling, and I start questioning myself. And then I start thinking, like, like, um, am, am, am I going to be accepted again? Are people going to bring up old shit? Am I going to run into people I had problems with? And, and all those things. And, and as time progressed, I realized that I don't give a fuck hmm. anymore. Hmm. Um, we got there, and there was a bounce house for the kids, and, and it, was a, it was actually a celebration for life, you know? Like, there, there was a lot of fun stuff going on, and people were, were enjoying each other, and I did run into some people from my past that I wasn't expecting to see, hmm. right? Did any of that stuff happen where they were still holding a grudge or they looked at you there, in that negative there light? Was, there, there, was, there was one person that uh, kind of felt like uh, he needed to apologize for something, which I explained to him like, and he's not in recovery or anything. He just felt like there was something owed there. I don't know. There was another person that called me by my, uh, by my old street name. Oh shit. Yeah. And I, I I was like, who are you? (laughs) Uh, I ran into a friend of a friend that, uh, we talked about to see how that person was doing. I talked to a couple people that used to be clean that aren't now, and, you know, for the, for the most part, we just uh, were able to be ourselves because uh, I think I have made peace with my past. I mm-hmm. have let that kind of, that old me go. And, and, and I'm okay with it. And I'll, I'll step back into the old me from time to time. And uh, I'll find myself fantasizing or, or imagining what I would be like today in certain situations were I still that same person. And uh, I'm just really grateful to to have a different way of life today and, and to be able to experience those types of things where I get to go back into my past and, and again, solidify the fact that I'm not that person anymore, that I have done some work and I can look back and, and like you said before, everything that I do today, I get to do it and compare it to, to who I was back then. And I can be not only, uh, I, I can be grateful for my past and what I experienced because of who I am today. When, uh, when we talk about who we are today and, and how everything would be different, if anything would be different, um, I can't help but think about relationships, you know? Um, I had so many fucked up relationships, man, mm-hmm. in, in my past. Oh man. And you know, obviously I was the common denominator in that. Sure. Um, and that doesn't mean that, every moment of every relationship besides the one I was, I'm in now was bad or anything like that. But yeah, that's fair. But, um, I, I, I'm able to go back and look at those experiences and see how, uh, I, I can navigate and be a better person now and how I can, uh, like, like level my worth based on how I was back then. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, 
it's it's a little easier now to make peace with my past and accept that thing um, that it was what it was and I am who I am now. And I think that's a pretty neat thing, to be honest with you. I just I, I'm really grateful that I don't live in that wishful place anymore. Yeah, well, I, I want to mention that the 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 celebration of life for the person that you went to see was not somebody who died as a result of this disease, correct? Uh, no. Okay. Um, just want to... Okay. Yeah, yeah, just put that out there. Um, and also, as you were talking, um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's because that's Cameron don't like talking to me. No, Cameron does like talking oh, to me. Oh, Cameron does like talking yeah. to me. No, I, uh, you were talking about relationships, and I think that it's funny that you mentioned that because I found myself, um, in, just in the last little bit, actually, um, thinking a lot about, um, not my, I mean, about how, how, because I feel like in our lives, we, we head in a certain direction, and then um, things are consistently going in one direction, and then we find ourselves maybe pivoting or branching off and going in a completely different direction, right? Oh, um, yeah. But sometimes in that instance, like, we can still see the other way, right? Like, in my life, I I was going clearly, and, and, and I'll just say it, say it this way, like, in sobriety. This has all happened in sobriety, okay? Since I've been sober, um, my life was going in one direction and I wanted it to go right. Right. Like I kept thinking that, um, this is the direction I'm going and this is mostly career based stuff and just sort of how I wanted to live the rest of my life or how I thought I wanted to live the rest of my life. And, uh, and anyways, I'm going straight down this path and I see my life can go one of two ways. I can either go left or I can go right. And, um, and for me, like, I mean, for me, like left was, um, a family, my wife, um, a child and, and that, and everything that that means. Right. Um, right for me was to be, to be more career based. Um, and if a family came, so be it. But right now I'm going to focus solely on my career and that could mean that I'm going to LA. It could mean I'm going to New York. It could mean I'm traveling wherever. Um, and, and that was a, another clear path. And then as I'm going and navigating this path, I feel like I'm going right. But then my wife just gets dropped in my lap. Right. And I, I meet my wife and all of a sudden things change. And so I, I, I go left, things go left for me, but I can still see that right path, right? Like I can still see how things could have gone. Um, and you know, on the wrong day, like if I'm not spiritually fit, I can begin to think like, that's the way I should have gone. Like the grass is always greener. Right. Um, and which really like, it makes me think, my life today is beautiful, right? Like I have a wife that I, I can't imagine. I could never have imagined um, having the relationship that I do with her with anybody. 
And when we talk about past relationships, dude, I dodged a lot of bullets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously. Um, and and I never could have guessed that um, that a relationship could be as healthy and as good as it is with my wife. And now I've got this child, and it has like totally opened up this whole, and just like everybody said it would, right? Like it opened up this whole other part of me that I never even knew existed. And, um, and it's great and it's wonderful. But if I'm not spiritually fit, I can begin to think like, yeah, but yeah, but right. It's the, yeah, yeah buts. Um, and so it's, it's, it's just a very good example of like why it's important for me to keep, to keep spiritually fit. Um, or else I begin to, resent the now yeah um and wish for a different past and uh, and that's not that doesn't help me today you know like for me like god had different plans like i had plans right and i had these ideas and these notions and these beliefs of how i wanted things to go and god clearly had another plan for me yeah and uh and i and i I had to let it happen, you know, and it did. It happened so naturally and so organically. And I'm just so grateful for that, that it can really only be, you know, like a, a power greater than myself. Like Cameron could have fucked it up any day he wanted, <laughs> but I had to really just let it happen. And I'm super grateful that it did. But I guess, you know, my point is that I've got to maintain that spiritual fitness or else it becomes easy for me to resent the now and the past. Yeah. So I don't know. That's just something I've been thinking about or I've been dealing about when it comes to um, our past. Yeah. But being, being grateful for the present is a huge help, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like when we can finally, when those, those moments of serenity, when we can step into like what we have, because um, it's easy for me to forget that I have the life that I once prayed for. Um, when, when I look back at my past and I think about the times I was alone and um, hating myself and hating the world around me and just feeling at low points and I, and I was dared enough to imagine a better way of life, right, in, in those last days of active addiction, uh, some of the stuff that I have today were, were too far out of my imagination to even believe I could have, but I wanted a better way of life and, and sometimes I can go back and and be appreciative of the fact that I asked for all this stuff, um, especially on those days that, that you're talking about. You know, I am an alcoholic, and so I don't see things or hear things or think things that maybe some normal people do. I, I think a lot of people can sit, but I don't know, some people might be able to sit in gratitude all the time and just be grateful all the time for all the things that they have. But mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people. I have to. I have to continuously work on it like you're talking about that spiritual state of, of being so that, that I can appreciate and not burn my fucking life to the ground. You know, one of the one of the biggest blessings that my my past gives me is the clarity to see how I really behave if I'm not in check. Right. Right. I've done it enough times like the pattern of my past is so clear to me that what ends up happening if I don't do these spiritual practices, if I don't talk about the way that I'm feeling, if I don't go to, to meetings or work with other people or 
if God forbid I relapse, I'm going to burn my fucking life to the ground because that's what I've always done. And I have a past that proves that, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a lot of evidence of the past that that proves that. And those kind of, um, you know, if I don't work on that stuff, like you're saying, it keeps me sick. And the longer that I'm there, the sicker I get and the closer I get to burning my life to the ground. And so like, like the danger for, for me isn't, the first thing's not a drink. I don't think the first thing is hurting the people that I love and, and for what, right? Like I have to not do that stuff. I have to. And so, um, you know, some of the things that I do today to, to make peace with the past is, is, uh, like I accept it and, and running into people and going places that, that I used to use at or use with, um, confidently, helps me make peace with the past mm-hmm. um changing the direction of way that i spend money um being open about the way that i feel uh, you know one of the one of the stories one of the parts of my past is you know a very unhealthy sex sexual activity like like that's just part of my past right, right. and one of the things that i had to do with that outside of of the 12 step stuff that I did, I ended up having to go to a therapist and get some better understanding about what's happening with me. Uh, the way that I think, the way that I behave, the things that I've been exposed to, um, because some of the stuff that has happened to us needs to be addressed at a professional level, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm no different than that. I can't, I can't think my way out of this stuff on my own. If I could, I would have gotten sober a long time ago and I would have avoided a lot of pain and, and frustration, but I can't. Right. And so sometimes I need, I need more help than what I can give myself or what another alcoholic can give me that may or may not have been through the same thing. You know, sometimes it needs to be a little more professional with some science behind it. Right. Sure. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, these oh, yeah. are just some of the tools that, that, that we use in order to stop living in the past, stop hating the past, stop, uh, regretting the past. Um, you know, one of the, one of the big dangers is, is regret. We just run through and regret not graduating high school, even though my life is great today, you know, I regret not keeping that job that I had that was safe and sound, even though my life is great today, you know, regret not taking better care of my body uh, at one time, even though I'm pretty healthy today, like, like go through and it just, and regret for me is one of those, one of those, uh, it's like, it's like cuts by a, th- or death by a thousand cuts, right? It's one of those things that I just cut just a little bit. And then I cut just a little bit more, just a little bit more, a little bit more. And, and eventually I'm covered in blood because I have all these regrets. And it, it makes no matter because I'm right where I want to be today. Yeah, yeah. I'm right where I can handle it. I'm exactly where I can handle. If regret could fuel action, I would be taking a lot of it. <laughs> But it doesn't, you know, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't really do anything. Yeah. Um, it doesn't do anything, but, but, you know, lead me to self-sabotage, um, and, and lead me into more negative thinking and more negative behavior. So I think that, um, you know, there's no reason for me to regret. And, and here's the thing too, is like, because, because I'm six and a half years sober, almost seven, like. I'm, it's so easy for me to forget sometimes that no matter how my life is today compared to how it was and how it could be, 
if I was still using, my life is a blessing. Yeah. Like all the way around, um, 100%. And sometimes we lose sight of that. We, we can really just forget about the pain and the misery, which is why it's so important to keep talking to people like Christina, who's six months sober, and, uh, and other people who are newer and other people who have been through that, you know, more recently. Like, I got a sponsee. He just celebrated one year. And it's seeing all this stuff happening for him in his life since he's been sober is absolutely amazing. And I'm like, it happens for me, too. I just don't see it as clearly um, because I'm just used to it by now, you know. Um, which is why like doing all the things that we, that we get to do, go to meetings, um, talk to other alcoholics, staying plugged into the community would be number one, because obviously if you're not a 12 step person, you're not going to be going to meetings. Um, but we can still see it in those new people. Um, which why it's so great for me to have those people around and for me to remember like, dude, you would have loved this life, you know? You would have wished for this life, like you said. Um, you know, I I wished for this life, and this is the life that I have, um, because I think I I I would have sold myself short. <laughs> yeah, you know? um, yeah, we've heard that before, yeah, right? Back then, if I would have told myself, you know, that this is how life will look, I never would have guessed. And uh, and I mean, I'm just so I'm just so grateful to be where I'm at today. And I'm grateful for the things that have led me here. Like it, um, it feels today like, like none of this stuff, none of the things that I have in my life today, um, as a result of my drug problem, as a result of being an alcoholic would be there if I hadn't gone through that stuff. And, and so there's a reason for it, right? It gives purpose behind it and being able to share it on a platform, um, being able to talk about it in a way that uh, that maybe other people will get value or um, see a reason to make changes in themselves, again, allows me to use that past as, as something to help people. And so, again, more reason for it all to happen. Yeah. Yeah, finding, finding reasons yeah. to be grateful. Always one of those things like, one of the things that Cameron and I share, he got this from his sponsor. Um, as we do go through and we have this amazing life today and we start being uh, maybe bitchy or, or like whiny about our luxury problems that we may have today, Cameron will say to me, well, it sounds like you got a lot to be grateful sounds for. Sounds like you got a lot to be grateful you know? for. And it's more sarcastic than anything. It's just to rem- it's just, it's to remind us that we need to shut the fuck up yeah. and really be grateful, right? right like, exactly. Like it wasn't like this, <clears throat> and by one choice, it could be like that again. And I just want to tell everybody, you know, remember, remember that it's not uh, you don't have to stay tied to the past who person you were. Um, uh, a lot of times, people will. Uh, stay in a bad relationship because they think that's who they are or they'll stay um, in a certain place at a certain job or not get sober or they'll they'll attach themselves to the old them you know they'll attach themselves to their old behaviors you know and I can say that because I'm one of those people sure 
You know, I, I attached myself to my old behavior, my old identity for a very long time. And I, I gained my identity when I was like 12. And I carried that 12-year-old identity into, into adulthood. Yeah, you still have and, it. Well, yeah, sometimes, sometimes <laughs> we're always 13, right? But, um, but the, th- the thing of it is, is, is you're not your past. You're your present. You know, I am my present person. There's no going back. You know, um, I can take what I know about my past and I can take what I see me doing today and I can kind of predict my future. I know without a shadow of a doubt that if I take a drink, I will ruin my life. Right. There, there's no, I can predict that future. Um, I have a pretty good idea that if I stay on this path, I keep working on myself spiritually. If I keep working on my relationships, I continue to work on being honest, open and caring. If I continue to work on my business and understanding, that's one of the things that I'm working on right now is the business side of my business which means like fucking taxes and payroll and adult shit, right? It cracks me up that I'm kind of learning that stuff. But I, but I, I know I can predict that if I continue on that path based on my past, based on other people's pasts, based on the stories that people tell me about their past, you know, as I continue to work on being a better father and husband and, and content producer and, and, and like doing all these things that I'm trying to do, be better at, my health and what I put into my body and understanding how it works, my future will be better than it is today. You know, that's, that's my prediction based on all the things that I'm doing. And I think that anybody can, um, can do that. I think that anybody can do that. You know, you can take your past, see what you're doing now and predict your future based on it. Yeah. Good point. And that's, and that's, and that's, I think the, that's all a part of sort of making peace with your past is really looking at your past and, and seeing what it is that, that was working, what it is that wasn't working and, and apply it to your future. Yeah. Right. Um, or apply it to, to the now to in the order present. to, yeah, in order to, to have a better future. Um, and I really appreciate you saying that because that was the one thing, right? That was the one thing I was able to see about the past. And even though like, you know, there's, there's things that I'm not proud of. I stole, I stole pills from people. I stole money from people. I stole, you know, from, from people that I absolutely loved, like, um, from people that really needed medication. I, you know, I, I did some really fucked up things. Um, but what I'm going to look at about those things is not the actual act. It's what, what caused the act Mm -hmm. and what does me committing that act tell me about myself in that instance? And, and what I'm able to see is like, I'm not, I'm not a thief, right? Um, I have a drug problem and when I, um, drink and I drug, this is what happens. Um, and so I get to use that and say, well, I'm not a thief, but I'm clearly a drug addict yeah. and I will always be a drug addict and I will always be somebody who will commit those acts if I consume that drug or drink. Yep. And so based on that, I will, you know, decide today that I'm not going to do that um, so that in the future, I don't have to look back and say, 
man, what a shitty thing I did. Yeah. Um, but I don't, you know, and, and while we're here, like we might as well talk about like, Hey, sometimes we're going to have to make amends. Let me ask you when you were just in your thing, um, did you, did you run into anybody that you thought, "Mm, did did I make amends with that person? Mm. Do I need to make amends with them person? No, no, I didn't. No. Mm. Um, no, that feels pretty good. <laughs> What's up? That 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 I that that, that it's that, that cleaned didn't? up. Yeah. yeah, you know. Uh, maybe there's some people there that remembered me that I didn't. That uh, I probably made Odin amends to, but uh, the community in itself, I feel like I've made amends to that entire community just by being on this side of the table consistently and being sincere about this way of life, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So. Well, and, and that's the thing too, is like, there's, there's going to be things in my past that, um, that I do need to make amends for, Yeah, you know, for sure. and, and I'm grateful that I've been able to do that. Um, when I talked about, you know, stealing money and stealing pills, um, those things from family members, you know, I've sensed them, but had the opportunity to go to them and, and apologize for it. And the way that I live my life today is, is, uh, the ultimate amend, you yeah. know, it's a, it's an, a living amend for, for that negative behavior. So, yeah, great point. Great point. I think, I think the amends process is probably one of the biggest factors of making peace with your past. Right. One mm-hmm. of, one of the biggest things you can do. Well, and that's just the thing too, is like what you said is like, no, I don't have anybody that I need to make amends to. Like in this whole town that you grew up in, where 95% of your drug use and criminal behavior occurred, you don't have to make amends because at some point we get to be done making amends for our past behavior. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, that there has to be a point where we can let go of it Yeah. and say, you know what? Like I'm done paying for that. Yeah. Like, and today, like I'm not that person anymore. So yeah. Yeah, Great point. Yeah. Great point. feels pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. It does feel pretty good. (laughs) feels pretty good. You know what else feels pretty good, and you know who else is doing a lot of work on making peace with their past is Christina. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's been fun to talk about, and again, you know, we got this topic inspired by her story, so I'm excited to share it. Like, there's there's a lot in it. There's a lot of how would I say it? There's there's some heavy shit. Yeah, some, she's she's been through so. some gritty stuff. Nothing you haven't heard before if you listen to every episode of the show, but uh, but it's one of the heavier ones. Yeah. So, what do you say we get into it? Yeah, let's okay, let's roll. This week's war story is brought to you by Brainwash Coffee. Brainwash Coffee is a damn good coffee with a damn good cause. Fifty percent of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which makes it a perfect partner for us here at the other side of hell podcast with delicious blends like coffee commitment and founding new freedom we drink a hell of a lot of it here and it gives us the energy we need to deliver a quality show right now you can get five dollars off your coffee purchase at brainwashedcoffeeco.com using promo code other side clean your brain now without further ado 
here's this week's horoscope. Hi, everybody. My name is Christina. I am 32 years old, about to be 33 in a couple weeks here. Um, I almost have six months clean. Uh, my drugs of choice, uh, mostly heroin. Uh, meth was a close second. And I started dabbling with fentanyl towards the end. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, most of my story revolves around uh, food and my body and how I feel about it. Um, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. When I was a kid, I always ate overate, uh, you know, used food to numb my emotions. I would eat in secret and, you know, just always felt like I was bigger than everybody else. And, you know, I had major body dysmorphia going on and <clears throat> that pretty much turned into bulimia when I was uh, like 13, uh, kind of slowly progressed. Um, just because I felt I had really no control over the food. So I figured, well, hey, I can eat as much as I want and just get it all out, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I started dabbling with weed and alcohol when I was about that age and really liked it, uh, definitely abused it and looked for any opportunity to do it. Um, but it all kind of started one day in, in high school when I was a sophomore, uh, one of my friends said that he had this medicine that, you know, his, he had to take and it made him not hungry at all. And he hated it. And I'm like, oh, well, give it to me, you know? And, you know, I took it and I was doing well in school. I was losing weight. I was doing my chores at home. And I honestly had absolutely no idea that what I was taking was Concerta. It was like Adderall. Um, and so, you know, it took about four months for me to like, you know, get super addicted to that. But to me, I was like, this is a magical pill. You know, amphetamines weren't really like a problem in, uh, in the town that I grew up in, uh, like a middle-class uh, suburb in, in San Diego. Um, but once I started, you know, doing that um, and kind of learned like what it was, then I just started seeking out other things, Coke, ecstasy, and then somebody gave me crystal meth for the first time. And that was definitely my first uh, full-blown like addiction. I mean, I got down to like 115 pounds. I thought I was looking all great. Um, I was also an athlete. I played uh, var varsity volleyball, varsity softball, and varsity cheerleading. Um, and one of, the, one of the first big like consequences of my addiction was uh, going into tryouts for volleyball my senior year I have like my letterman's jacket on I've already been on the team all of, you know my other years and I got cut you know and I I didn't know that it was because everybody knew that I was fucking high on drugs and shit but I just that was when I went into rehab for the first time when I was uh what 17 years old I I went through from high school for 30 days or took a a, a month off or whatever and when I came back, everybody was like, oh, that's Tina. You know, everyone used to call me Tina. Oh, Tina, she's that tweaker girl. And it kind of just like stuck with me. But once that was when the seed of recovery, like really got first got planted in my head. Um, that particular program I went to was 12 step based and we went to meetings and stuff. So I felt like, you know, it was at that point that I realized, wow, like I am an addict. There's no denying it. You know, am I going to try and do something about this or do I even want to do anything about this? And, you know, at that point, I had no confidence, just, you know, I, I really didn't know how to live or feel any kind of sort of good about 
good way about myself without getting drunk or getting stoned or, you know, using meth. So I was, I tried really hard to just like do well. And most of it was for my parents, honestly. Uh, they really, you know, didn't raise me like that. In fact, I was raised very well. I can't say I had any childhood trauma. Both of my parents and my sister are all normal, never don't have any addictions or anything. So I was like the major black sheep still am, but, um, so, um, I somehow graduated high school and went into college at Cal state long beach. It was at that point that I really stopped exercising instead of gaining like the freshman 80, I, or I'm sorry, the freshman 15, I gained 80 pounds my freshman year. So that was when I was like, oh my God, I need meth. Or I need Adderall or something to get this weight off and just didn't ever go to class, didn't ever do anything that I was supposed to. I got my own apartment and that was when I just really became like a closet user. I would hide in the apartment all day. I would have all kinds of fucking weirdos over tweakers. And then I met this guy that, you know, he would use my car to go doctor hopping and he would give me Norcos and Oxys and shit. And he would always be in my bathroom for like hours. And I'd always be like, what are you doing in there? Like, and then he'd come out and he'd be like all fucked up, just not out. And I'm like, why aren't I like that? Like, can I get some of whatever you're doing? You know? So somehow I, I, you know, talked him into shooting me up with heroin and it took all of like maybe a month for I mean, me to start threatening suicide, uh, just cops getting called all the time. I mean, because when I go hard, like I literally lose my mind. Um, so my parents decided to bring me home for spring break and I was going to detox or whatever and then go back. <laughs> but like I'm home for a couple of days and I start withdrawing and I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like, what the fuck? You know? So it was then, you know, my parents and I decided like, okay, there's a full blown heroin and meth addiction going on. She cannot go back to college. Like we need to get her some serious help. So basically for the next like two years, I would say I went in and out of rehabs around here, like in San Diego and Riverside. Um, and just with no success, really. I mean, every time I, I would get there, I would really be determined. Like, I don't want to live my life like this. You know, but one thing I've always struggled with is like impulsivity and I would get these impulsive urges to use and I would just act on them and I would just leave the rehab with no money, nothing but some, some clothes. So anyways, uh, I failed a lot at all those rehabs and it was decided that I was going to go to Hawaii to this uh, three year long inpatient program. It was honestly like super traumatizing. Honestly, I just like could not make friends. I was getting in trouble for this, getting in trouble for that. There was one time they had me in a corner facing the wall from six in the morning until midnight for 10 days in a row. I couldn't look to the right or left. I had to face the wall all day. And if I looked anywhere or, or talked to anybody, they would add on another day. And it was just like, I mean, their whole thing is like breaking you down and then building you back up or whatever. But, uh, I just was like, I am not putting up with this bullshit for three more years, you know? So the, the people that in, did my intake basically told my parents, you know, if she leaves, like, do not fly her home. You need to stop enabling her. Um, so, yeah, I left the program and really was honestly on my own. I thought, oh, I'll just find some dude to, you know, get me some drugs and everything will be fine. But yeah, I got high, but then those drugs wore off and then I was still alone and uh, living in a homeless shelter and just, I mean, I, I know it sounds weird, but I literally experienced like racism there. I, you know, I had no friends 
and the part of the town that I was in or the part of the island, it was just, they don't, do not like white people. So I was treated like with severe racism and I honestly just wanted to die, did not even care. I was like, you know what? My parents don't want me to come home. I can't stay clean. I'm not even gonna try and get clean anymore. I'm just gonna fucking run them hard and do as much drugs as I want. So was homeless and living with a guy here, a person there, whatever, just, but it all kind of like popped off when I met this guy. Um, he had just gotten out of prison and like literally like the day of he got out of prison and he saw me like uh, in a parking lot all quacked out of my mind fucking I'm like 23 years old at this point looking for cigarette butts off the ground and he was gorgeous I'm not gonna lie and I saw him and I'm like ooh, you know prison tats oh he's hot so I and he knew that I had feelings for him right off the bat so he basically started to build this relationship with me in order to put me out on the street um, and basically, you know, made it sound like, you know, we'll, we'll always have a place to stay. You'll always have as much drugs as you want to do. And I had been like offered that like plenty of times by people like, oh, you know, if you suck my dick, whatever. But I always just that was so degrading. And I always felt like, oh, my God, I was not raised to do that. Like, I'll do a lot of shit for drugs, but I will not do that. But for this guy, like, I honestly had a lot of feelings for him. I was, like, in love with him, and he knew that. And so the main reason, honestly, that I started selling my body wasn't so much for the drugs and the money, but for him. He, he caught me right at, like, the perfect time. Like, I'm homeless. I have nobody, no love for myself. All I want to do is fucking get loaded, like, as much drug as I can put in my body. So he really did get a good opportunity with me. You know, it, it just never was anything that I could do and, like, feel good about or feel okay about. Like, it didn't matter how much drug is in my system. I just always was like, oh, my God, please just get off of me. You know what I mean? It, I always just felt so disgusted, but the, the lure of having like, you know, a few grams to go home with that night was just what would get me through, you know, the dates or whatever. So this relationship turned super abusive. I'm just going to you know kind of finish it up with that. We were together for like two years. He went back into jail. I would support him so I can keep our, I eventually got us an apartment and I was really doing honestly pretty well. Like I was working on Backpage and I just was like, I, I, my, and still like my main goal was like to get this guy to fall in love with me. And he never really did. It was just like, I don't know, but uh, you know, I got to do as much drugs as I wanted. And that was kind of, you know, the medicine for me at the time. So I just remember him pushing me to the ground and us like, you know, fighting. And then he hawked like a huge ass loogie in my face and was just like, you know, fuck you, bitch, just fucking leave me alone. Just hawked this huge loogie in my face. And I just literally laid on the ground. It was in Waikiki. I remember just laying in the fetal position on the ground and just like, I cannot believe that this is where I'm at with my life. Like I just did all that for that guy and he's just going to leave me. And so <clears throat> at that point, it was about that time that I met my best friend, Fred, who's a big part of my story. And when we first met, he was a, a dealer, a big, big dealer and uh, basically let me move in with him. He felt pity for me and he was like the first drug dealer actually that was like really nice and respectful and hated what he was doing with his life as well. And we always used to talk about like, God, this isn't what we're supposed to be doing. Like, you know, we have so much more potential and just, you know, we both just knew that, that it wasn't like the life for us. And, you know, he never made a move on me and never asked anything of me. He just kept me well. And the next like three years is basically just 
doing as much drugs as I could. And the veins all started collapsing at this point. So I would spend hours and hours searching and I mean, just abscess is here and abscess is there. And at some point, at a certain point, Fred's girlfriend came back into the mix. So I had to move out back into my car and I didn't have his support like I did. So I had no choice really, but to go back to prostitution. So I just did that independently for like the next, until I was like 29. <clears throat> and it was pretty disgusting, honestly. I, I just, once I got like a couple abscesses and the staff or the uh, MRSA just like, came up in my body, like I would just go, I basically never went without one. I would have one here, over here on my neck, on my boobs, on my, I mean, I literally to the, now I have no veins. I've, I've collapsed everything from my feet to my fingertips, to my neck. I've sharpened my face, my forehead, underneath my tongue with little baby needles. Um, that's the kind of addict that I am, you know, even my junkie friends would be like, damn girl. Like I, I mean, one of the things honestly that I'm like the most ashamed of, and I never really realized like how fucked up it was until later was I would like dig in needle buckets, like community needle buckets and pull out whatever needles had like a tiny little bit of coagulated blood left in them, squirt them all into fucking spoons just so I could like not feel sick or whatever. You know what I mean? <clears throat> And through that, I uh, ended up giving myself something called osteomyelitis, which is like an abscess in your bone. Um, the doctor said it was mostly from shooting up in my neck. It was a combination of that and then all the abscesses that went untreated and everything. So all I know is I just started getting these horrible back pains and I was still doing dates and I would have like a bandage here, bandage. I used to always have abscesses on my neck and got like guys that I would do dates with and be like, oh my God, like what happened? I'm like, oh, I just got tatted. Like, don't worry, you know? So uh, anyways, um, that went on for like a month and I knew that something was like really wrong with me just because I could hardly walk and I would go in and out of just like, I would just be laying on the, the I was sleeping on someone's floor and I would just be laying there just like, oh, just like moaning. And even the people that would come over would be like, what is wrong with her, you know? And I, I honestly will never forget it. Like the night that, um, I hit the fever that I did. Um, I was just sitting there like smoking a cigarette and I hit a fever out of nowhere and I knew that it was really bad. And I was like, holy shit, like something is really wrong with me. So um, I called a couple people to like take me to the ER. Of course, nobody would. At this point, my car's not running. Um, and I was like, I really sat there and I was like, do I want to die? Like, you know, because I knew something was really wrong. You can just like feel it. So I called an ambulance on myself. And by the time I got into the ambulance, my uh, temperature was like 102.7. And uh, I don't really remember much. I got to the ER and um, it was like a two hour ordeal of them trying to find veins on. And so I remember he got it started in my groin and then put me in for an MRI. And like those little things that you have to go through are like super, you know, claustrophobic. And I remember them telling me, to press the button if I felt claustrophobic. So, uh, or if I wanted out or whatever. So I did, I was like, Oh my God, I can't be in here. And I just remember very vaguely, it's all like super patchy in my mind, but I remember coming out of the thing. And then as soon as I could sit up all the way, I fucking sat up super fast. I felt this piercing pain go through my back and then everything went black. And uh, I woke up, it was five days later, and like my mom was there, and my dad was there, and they're like, oh, you know, you were in a coma, like the, uh, the osteomyelitis that I had in my back had ended up spreading to my kidneys, to my lungs, my heart, I had endocarditis, I, I was almost brain septic, like I had sepsis just raging through my body, and 
um, I don't really remember really much. All I remember is waking up and I was like, mom, what are you doing here, mom? You know? And I guess they had told her that the doctor had called and said like, look, your daughter's most likely not going to make it. So you should probably come out here and make arrangements. Um, so, um, I had a dog at this point, my parents, once I got woke up and I was like stable or whatever, they flew back here and they took my dog with them thinking that this is going to be the last straw for her. This has got to be her rock bottom. Like, you know, but it wasn't, that was in 2016. Um, I just always felt like I was like invincible. Maybe it was either that, or I just didn't really care if it killed me. I think it was like a mixture of both. Um, you know, and just so much fucked up shit, so much betrayals. And, you know, I was sexually assaulted plenty of times in the, my years as a prostitute, but I was only actually raped once, um, which was extremely traumatizing, but I never really did anything about it because I just kind of figured, well, he wouldn't have done it if I wasn't at his house, you know, doing a date with him anyways. Um, so I kind of felt like it was my fault, but um, it definitely wasn't. And it was um, definitely rape and uh, traumatized the fuck out of me. Fred and I still had a relationship at this point, um, like a friendship. And once his, his girlfriend, the one who had come back into the picture actually ended up dying, um, and he was super alone. He wasn't doing selling drugs anymore. He was just living off of his social security. So I moved in with him. And that was where I spent like my last couple of years in Hawaii. We just were so depressed and like, you know, I would help him and he would help me. And, you know, we both just like looked out for each other. And he was like, honestly, a, a solid human being to this day. I still have never had someone that was such a good friend to me. And, um, you know, no matter what time of day it was or what he was doing or what was going on it with me, you know, and I can say now and I feel very ashamed about it. But like, I mean, I robbed him when I was like 25 and he forgave me. So anyways, uh, it was in 2020 that I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like the, I was developing congestive heart failure and the doctors were like, you know, you need uh, treatment and like all kinds of medicine and shit. And every time I would do meth, my ankles would swell up and it was just like super scary. And, um, my dad had a brain tumor and was here like dealing with it with my mom and my sister. And I just felt like such a piece of shit daughter for not being here. And all those things kind of combined, um, and the never ending abscesses. Like I just literally have so many scars all over my body from them. I just really honestly got sick of it. And I was like, I'm about to be 30, one or whatever it was. And I just wanted to do something different with my life. Um, so the plan was for me to come back here and get on methadone and, you know, start trying. So uh, that was in 2020. I moved back in with my parents and got on methadone. And I actually did really good for about six months. I had smoked weed a couple of times. So like I was taking dirty tokens, which felt shitty as fuck. Um, but in March, I ended up getting drunk one night and then I ended up relapsing. Um, it was so crazy how fast it happened. Just like as soon as the alcohol started going through my body, it's just like, well, this feels good, but I need my drugs of choice now and I'm going to get them now. So, you know, I was doing meth and heroin and fentanyl. That was when I started doing fentanyl it was in March of uh, 2021. Um, and it took a month for me to lose everything again. Um, I was I had started going to school for drug and alcohol counseling uh, my parents <clears throat> kicked me out of the house. I uh, lost my job. I had to withdraw from school because I missed so much. 
Um, and yeah, within a month of my relapse, I ended up in the psych ward and my parents were like, you know what, like we're fucking done. You can figure this out on your own, you know? So I went, uh, at that point I went into a residential program. So that's what I did all summer, uh, this past summer. Um, I graduated in the beginning of September. Um, I did use a couple of times while I was there, um, but I was honest about it and, you know, did I didn't hide it and the counselors worked with me and you know what I mean? So my clean date right now is August 19th. Um, I, I'll have six months and a couple of days here. Uh, in While I was at uh, treatment and since I've been out of treatment, I have uh, consistently tapered down on the methadone. Um, I'm almost down to 40 milligrams and I was on about 140 at one point, um, which is a huge deal for me, honestly. I don't want to be on methadone forever. Um, but I know that I needed it to, um, you know, to get off the drugs and to get some kind of stabilization in my life in order for me to make the decisions that I needed to make to get my life, you know, on track. So, um, you know, I'm determined to get off of this shit probably in the next like two, two months, maybe three months, but I'm not going to rush it. You know, I'm doing it as my counselor and the doctor recommend and suggest because I want to do this successfully. And anybody with opiate and addiction and methadone, you know, experience knows that if you do it the wrong way, you can set yourself up very likely for a relapse. And that is the last thing that I want. I feel like every other time that I ever tried to get clean was for somebody else. Like I was doing it to make my parents happy, um, you know, this or that or whatever. But really, I never did it because I wanted to. I never really did it because I wanted a better life for myself. I, I never really felt like I was truly done with the drugs, you know, like even in 2020, when I got clean on um, and got on methadone, I still would fantasize like, oh, well, one day I'll be able to like do heroin just to go to sleep, you know, that fucking stupid addict thinking. But my relapse in March and the month that it took me to lose everything again was finally, I, I finally saw that like, no, you can't dabble at all. You literally can't do anything at all. You need to do a program of recovery and work your 12 steps and, you know, do what is suggested of you by your sponsor and stop being, you know, so fucking egotistical thinking that you can, you know, do this. So that is what has been different this time for me. I feel like, um, I, I don't let those little voices in my head, like take control of the situation anymore. I have coping skills that I didn't ever know how to use before, like picking up the phone. And one thing I've noticed about the phone thing is if you call your sponsor or somebody every day, then those times when you really do need to call because you feel like you're going to use or something, it's not so heavy. Everybody's recovery is their own. And this time that I have put together with methadone or without has been the most successful time of my life. You know, in this, in these last six months, I have lost uh, like 50 pounds. I exercise, I go to the gym. Now I have a job that I've been able to hold down at target for four months now. Um, I have a really good relationship with my, my mom and dad. And um, the only thing that has happened that has been a real test of my sobriety was finding out that Fred died um, uh, on September 24th. And that was really hard because him and I always, you know, wanted, to, like wanted to do better for ourselves, you know, and when I came home, he was still in Hawaii and the people that I left living in his house with him were supposed to take, be taking care of him and really were just feeding him fentanyl. And like, I felt a lot of resentment about that and shit. Um, 
So when I found out what I did was I went to my women's meeting that night and I, you know, had told them what happened and how to cope with it. And they all basically told me that, you know, think about something that you and him, you know, used to share or talk about and, and do something in some way to honor it. And him and I always used to talk about going to church together and like getting clean together and doing something different with our lives. And so that was what I did to cope with his death is I started going to church again, you know, not just for him, but for myself. And it has been one of the best parts of my sobriety, you know, um, just allowing, you know, that higher power to help me when I cannot help myself. And I go to meetings, I stick with the women. Honestly, I go to women's meetings. Um, I'm in the process of working my steps. Um, and I don't, uh, you know, let my self-talk take me out the door anymore. You know, I found ways to like counteract that negative self-talk. Um, you know, and I try not to live in the past, uh, anymore. There's a lot of things that, um, you know, I went through that I can't take back and that had happened to me. And uh, another thing that I'm doing for my sobriety is I just started therapy. And I feel like that's going to be the best thing as far as dealing with, you know, my trauma and my rape and, you know, being a prostitute for five, five fucking like eight years. Um, you know, there's still pictures of, of me up on the internet and it's just, this probably never honestly ever going to go away. And it's, just, it is what it is, you know? But I did those things because that was what I had to do at the time to survive. And I just can't beat myself up any, you know, over it anymore. Um, the biggest thing, honestly, that I have learned in this time that I've been clean is that using and drinking to cope with anything that I might be going through is going to do nothing but make the whole situation worse. You know, it will never help any of it. The best way to help whatever I might be going through is to just stay clean and sober and don't pick up no matter what, because the longer that I have clean, the more beautiful things that keep happening in my life and the more things, you know, opportunities that have come up, like working with Stay Stopped with Jackson, working with Dope Sick, with Malcolm and Sin and Misfit. I mean, they honestly have played a huge part in my sobriety and I wouldn't change it for the world. And I'm really grateful, honestly, to have gotten a chance to do this podcast with you guys. Um, this is only my second time ever telling my story. So I'm probably going to look back on this and find every single way to critique it. But, you know, I already know what my sponsor is going to tell me when I talk to her about that. Why don't you look at all the good things that, you know, you said and all the ways that you are going to help people. So, yeah, that's just mostly what I try and do as far as, you know, my sobriety is all that negative shit. I just try and counteract it with all the tools and, and stuff that I've learned. I mean, it's really not as hard, you know, as people like to think. You just have to get through the first few months. And once you do, like, it's honestly only up from there. You just can't pick up or use no matter what, like no matter what. As long as you do that, everything will keep getting better. And all the things that you've ever wished for you know, will come into your life. So I think with that, I'll finish up. I'm sorry if I was longer than I was supposed to be. <laughs> but yeah, thank you, Will, for having me on this. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, you want to blast your Instagram real quick? Okay, yeah. So my Instagram is Major Christina1989, M-A-J-O-R-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A. 1989 
And the two brands that I work with are Dope Sick and Stay Stopped and are a huge part of my life. They both have awesome recovery apparel. You should go check out their Instagrams. Um, it's all about, you know, wear recovery, live recovery. And yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Christina. Yeah. That was that, amazing. Yeah, for sure. Like a lot in there. Ooh, hardcore. Yeah. This is, this is one of those stories of when, when I think about uh, the miracle of recovery, this is one of them, right? Because there was some heavy shit in there. Mm -hmm. She did some really dangerous stuff and, and she knows that. And uh, one of the things that I love about our platform and what we do here is uh, there, it's a, it's an all pathways recovery process. And we don't have very many people talk about, uh, you know, methadone or anything like that tapering off. But I really appreciate her take and her taking the time to explain, you know, her dosage and, and how she's tapering off of it and her goals with it and how she's working with her sponsor and working with her doctor. And it sounds like to me, like that's the way that the, that, that it was designed to work and it's working for her. Right. You know? Um, mm-hmm. She's working with these other uh, recovery platforms like Stay Stopped and Dope Sick. And you can find both of those on uh, Instagram and check that out. But, uh, you know, putting herself out there and being a part of, be, you know, being in the middle of the herd now after coming from such a crazy place that she came from. And it's so wild that uh, she came from that. And this is this is one of those things that reminds me that addiction it doesn't like, like you can't call it. You cannot fucking call who's going to have this shit Mm -hmm. because you know, she had, she had the parents, uh, that sound like they're very supportive. She, she said in her story, there's no childhood trauma. Uh, but then she ends up in Hawaii digging through needle, needle bins and who knows who was shooting what up. Yeah. Extremely sick over Mm -hmm. that. Like, you know, her sounds like her sister isn't an addict. Her parents aren't addicts, but there she is like us yep and attic alcoholic yeah you just never know yeah you can't call it and you never know where it's going to take you either like it you know it can it can hit all of us differently and it can take us all to different places and yet it's all the same like um she has a lot of things in her past that i don't have you know like she she's she's done a lot of things that i never did um but it's still the same theme that led her there, right? Yeah, it's, you could re- identify oh, with the feeling. For sure. Yeah. For sure. She just had to get out of her own head. Yeah. Right? She had to numb those emotions. Um, and she, she talked about the impulsiveness, which I really appreciate. She just couldn't get over the idea that she had to do this thing, right? Yeah. And I've, I've, I've experienced that. It, you know, we call it the obsession, you know, like man, like I'll, I'll become obsessed. Yeah. I got to get the next, it doesn't matter. Like nothing can get in my way. Yeah. I will get it. I need it. Um, and, and it, yeah, I mean, it's all the same thing, no matter what, no matter what it is. And to, and to hear her, you know, her thinking, um, and know that that's the way that it was. And then to hear her talk about, you know, where she's at now is, is wonderful. Yeah. You know, Um, she's, she's taken a lot of time and done a lot of work and on her way, um, to, to, uh, a goal that she has in mind with the methadone and, um, and she is progressing very, very nicely Yeah, and she's making peace with her past. She's seeing a therapist now, um, and she's doing all the things to, to, uh, to, to help her 
today. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I always appreciate um, when people share their story, and it's one of the things that I try to do is honor the help I was given. And uh, I, I, I really dig that she was honoring the help of her, of her friend, even though, you know, a lot of people, and she even mentioned it, that a lot of people wouldn't consider that a friend. But, um, you know, and I know that there is there is a weird love in the drug community for sure you know and uh we're all dying together but we're trying to keep each other alive it's one of those paradoxes of of things and and her finding in a church finally you know under under the uh, idea that fred died and and so you know obviously we we uh condone our condolences for that you know i know he was important to her so you know i just i really appreciate where she's at i appreciate you you know, Christina reaching out and, and the conversations we've had, we had a great conversation on zoom and, uh, you know, so yeah, thank you. I think a lot of people will get a lot out of this story and you'd be able to help a lot of people in your, in your journey here. Mm -hmm. And and it's an honor to be on it with you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What else you got, Cameron? You got anything you want to admit on camera? Get out out from underneath you from the past uh well i uh i switched back my wedding ring <laughs> okay sweet you know what that means no i have a skinny wedding ring and i have a fat wedding ring oh okay so i have a wedding ring that i had when i got married and then i lost weight and i had to get a new wedding ring well i've switched back to the fat wedding ring oh yeah so, you know, there's that. Ups and downs. Ups and downs, baby. Good. You're still worth the work, buddy. And you're damn right. You. You're damn yeah. right, and I'm not done, you know? Yeah, you're not done, and none of us are. So let's let's get out of here so we can work on ourselves. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, all right. Now, thanks, bro. Jordan? Thanks, Jordan. Ryland, you're the man. I like your shirt. There. Ryland got a new haircut. I wish you guys could see him. But you can't. So, but until the next time, we will see you on the other side. You are worth the work. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.